0: to the Digiday podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I'm senior media editor at Digiday.
1: And I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor.
0: Kaylee, this week you spoke with Sean Moriarty, who's the CEO of Leaf Group. And media M&A landscape has been super active in the past year. I mean, shoot, it's been super active in the past month. But I feel like Leaf Group um, has been kind of under the radar and with like Graham Holdings acquiring Leaf Group last year, right? Do you get that sense?
1: Yeah, I mean... I think any kind of like Holdings group buying a media company is probably a little less um, flashy than some of the mergers we saw at the end of last year. But in general, so Sean and I kind of kick off the interview talking about that. In general, it is a interesting kind of partnership because Graham Holdings is a quite a large company um, they have media companies underneath them uh, in the like television space so it's not like a completely out of the blue um, acquisition uh, but we talk about some of the like benefits of going into um, that partnership of how it's, in a way, complementary to um, the existing Leaf Group portfolio. And there are some overlaps with what Graham Holdings has. Um, they have this like framing company. So it matches up really well with Leaf Group's arts arm. And I don't know, it, there's some interesting things that um, Sean gets into about why this acquisition, you know, worked for Leaf Group um, ultimately. And yeah, kind of under the radar, but. He thinks it was a good move for the company last year.
0: Got it. And I mean, for anyone, you know, listening who maybe you're not as familiar with Leaf Group, you may be familiar with their them under their former name. So Leaf Group used to be called Demand Media and Demand Media was one of those, I mean, they would get labeled a content farm, but they are also one of those publishers that was very like search heavy. Um same yeah. thing with dot dash when dot dash was about.com. And it feels like those publishers are like also among the ones leaning most into commerce because, oh, people are searching for whatever food recipe. And then they stumble upon these publishers articles and, oh, hey, let me sell you a mixing bowl or something like that. Did Sean talk about like where things stand on the commerce side?
1: Yeah. So we get into commerce quite a bit, but it's interesting you bring up kind of their old, um, uh, I guess, distribution strategy. You're right. It was very SEO focused. Now, um, so the brands, we get into like the different brands and their strategies with commerce, but they own like Society Six, they own Saatchi Art. These are very commerce focused brands. In general, commerce is two thirds of the company's annual revenue. So it's a big strategy, and they're trying to use that to, you know, lean on, what a commerce business could look like in the more media focused brands in the group. So, Well and Good, we talked to Well and Good um, last year for DPS and on the podcast as well. They're building out a, a marketplace um, that really kind of leans on the, the strengths of like Society Six's marketplace, right? So, there's different kinds of commerce strategies that are building out of the expertise that they've built for some of the more endemic, you know, commerce brands. Um, but we get into that quite a bit in this episode. So, you know, commerce is a big revenue stream for them and it's a big, you know, topic that publishers are thinking about this year.
0: Cool. I'm excited to hear the conversation. Thanks, Kayla.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Hi, Sean. Welcome to the Digiday podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today.
2: Hey, Kaylee. Thanks for having me. Great to be back.
1: Yeah. So I would love to start out by giving our listeners kind of an overview of Leaf Group. I think um, you have a really unique set of brands under your portfolio because you span, you know, traditional more like media companies, but then you also have a really cool set of art brands um, and art marketplaces under Leaf Group. Um, And I'm curious how this portfolio kind of came together and if you kind of have a, a similar audience across all of the brands, or if this is really a way to diversify, you know, who you are reaching with Leaf Group, and you know, also the brands maybe that you sell to in advertising. How did this portfolio come together? What was the strategy behind it?
2: Sure. So, Leaf Group was built out of the old Demand Media, um, which was a you know kind of high volume digital publisher. And when I joined the company several years ago. Um, you know the, the business had real challenges, which you know were kind of driven by low quality content, huge reliance uh, on Google, and um, you know as a placement in search became more and more competitive, the company had real challenges. And um, when I joined the company, um, when I looked across the portfolio, um, you know the company was actually in pretty good categories. And had a very good understanding of what consumers were looking for. Uh, prior to joining the company, I was the CEO of Saatchi Art, which uh, was sold to demand media, and I took the CEO role of the combined company. And, you know, and what I saw, um, you know, was a real opportunity to build a diversified consumer internet company uh, really characterized by producing high-quality content and offering products and services to really passionate consumers um, across categories where we felt and still very much feel there's tremendous room to build new digital first brands. you know, And the idea of catering to customers at their point of passion, um, whether they are an art lover, uh, deeply focused on living in a beautiful home um, or really committed to fitness and wellness, you know, it, it felt that then and again feels now like there's tremendous opportunity for um building great brands um, for for those consumers. Um and, and it really is kind of the the you know the, the day-to-day execution of that high-level vision, which is if you build a brand which speaks to the most passionate consumers within large verticals where real innovation is happening, you can build great businesses. Uh, now, the, you know, the starting point uh, was a predecessor company, but the vision has been about parlaying that into a diversified company that owns great brands that people love and trust.
1: Got it. Right. So some of those brands, um, you had mentioned like health and wellness. So you have like Well and Good and Livestrong.com. Um, in the home decor category, category rather, you have Hunker, um, but you're in pets, travel, finance, technology. Uh, and then you have a that strong background in the art and design category as well. Um, you mentioned your background is in was with Saatchi Art, so I'm imagining you have some sort of uh, deep affinity for the art world. Um, but I'm I'm curious. Like, I guess the biggest news about Leaf Group this past year, um, or one of the largest pieces of news, was the acquisition by um, Graham Holding Company, uh, which was, I believe, about. Three hundred and twenty-three million dollars, if I read the press release correctly. But I'm curious, like, what those mix of different assets, kind of how that appealed to this new, you know, parent company. Um, you know, when you were having those conversations, what were some of the things that you know stood out to them as being like a reason for why Leaf Group was a good, you know, investment? What were the conversations like? Um, when you were talking about your brands to, to Graham holding.
2: Sure. So, you know, I think, first of all, we're really, really excited <clears throat> to be part of Graham holdings. Uh, you know, it's Graham holdings is kind of an iconic, you know, American uh, company, diver- highly diversified company. Um, you know, it's keystone asset for many, many years was the Washington post, but uh, you know, Graham holdings owns everything from television stations to car dealerships to, internet businesses to education and educational services. And you know, I had many conversations with uh, Tim O'Shaughnessy, the CEO, who I think is an absolutely outstanding leader on what he was seeking to do uh, with with Graham Holdings, which is kind of to continue that highly, you know, diversified path. but um, but Tim also, by background, is an internet guy and a very, very capable one. Uh, he was the, f- the founder and CEO of Living Social. And, um, you know, Tim uh, is very much interested in digital first assets. At Graham Holdings, you know, they really are long-term oriented. An awful lot of people say that, but I be- they truly are. And they want to own um, and support the building of businesses over the long haul and you know within you know as as um you know we talked about what we were doing at leaf group the categories we were in our view towards building brands over time you know ultimately uh, a really strong brand is a manifestation of earning customers trust by delivering for them for long periods of time and you know a strong brand produces extraordinary sustainable competitive advantage uh, if you continue to lead up to it every day and you know i think they you know saw what we saw It said gosh these are businesses uh that continue can continue to grow for very long periods of time in fantastic categories uh where um there's an awful lot of change and you know these these businesses have an approach to market and you know serve kind of a, a unique context and, and and have a lot of room um and so i think it was that really that meeting in the minds. Um uh, and uh, you know, seven months in now, I guess you know I, I'm thrilled that it's happened and I love what we're doing.
1: To your point, uh, Graham Holdings has a, a wide variety of of categories that they're in, different business types that they're in. Um, Leaf Group has a, a nice mix of content categories as well. Um, like I said earlier, you have a, a couple brands in the health and wellness, you know travel, pets, those different categories. Is there any kind of um, effort being made either on the Graham holding side or or on under your leadership at leaf group to continue like expanding these categories with additional, you know, either brand acquisitions or launching new brands. Essentially, are you focused on just really making the brands that you already have organically, you know, strong on their own and making them kind of, you know, if you want to advertise to a, a travel based audience, you know, buy space on only in our state or only in your state rather, um, you know, is that the brand that you're investing in or do you have ambitions to continue growing out these categories with, you know, additional acquisitions in those, you know, I guess, endemic groups?
2: Yeah. So, so, so kind of job one is building the businesses, you know, that, that we have. Um, and I think if you do that well, it creates opportunity to, for you to go further faster when when those opportunities present themselves with M and A, uh, you know over you know my tenure with the company over the past several years, you know we've done four acquisitions, founder led bootstrap businesses, um, each of which you know put us kind of further down the path um, or categories that we're in, um, you know with the exception of of only in your state. So we acquired um, Deny Designs for the Society Six business because it you know gave us. Uh, you know, a good um, kind of toehold in, in B2B really helped us with uh, new product innovation um, and expanded our assortment. We acquired the other art fair so that we could have an in real life um, uh, component to Sachi Art. And that's gone very, very well for us. And, you know, we were already deeply in fitness with Livestrong and we're very, very interested in the wellness category. Um, And when we met Alexia Bruin team, you know, that well and good business was, you know, just, you know, an opportunity we felt we couldn't pass up. Um, And then when we acquired um, Only in Your State, you know, it. Only in Your State really kind of fits the bill of, you know, the type of media properties we have with respect to not only providing useful information, um, you know, consistently and effectively, but had a very unique context, right? Which is, it's about giving people the information so that they can further explore and enjoy in most cases, but not all, um, you know, their own backyard, you know, learning more about where you live, being able to celebrate and enjoy where you live. You know, it's a pretty unique context that had been, you know, not completely overlooked, but we hadn't seen it packaged nearly as well, you know, online. And, you know, when we, you know, met uh, Brian and uh, Elena and team, we were just really impressed and felt that we could go further, faster together. Um, and so, you know, I think MA. Um, will always be part of what we do but i think m a should be done through uh, a position of strength where your core businesses are doing what you you know you expect them to do and what they should do um and you're becoming an even stronger um, company with with greater scale and might through intelligent and disciplined m a so so you know short answer is both
1: got it i guess i could
2: have started there but we got we finally got there so thank you
1: now that was good to kind of hear about what went into previous um, acquisitions as well, like you said, focusing on more independent brands, um, you know, people who still had their uh, founders attached in some way. I think that that is a really, I think, interesting and important strategy um, to talk about. Um, Kind of on the the flip of that, so you mentioned Graham Holdings has quite its, you know, own portfolio of companies under it. in the seven months, to your point, you've only been there for seven months so far. But in the in that time, have you, I guess, leaned on any of the other companies or, or brands that exist under you know, your know parent company, or have you been able to kind of operate separately in um, continuing on like you had been previous to the acquisition?
2: Sure, I think you know the um, you know Graham provides you know the, uh, the operating executives and teams. You know a, a a a fair amount of autonomy and independence, which which I think is great. But they've also, again, it's only seven months in, but have been very very supportive and you know I would say promoting and facilitating you know information sharing and connecting leaders who you know may have common cause or opportunities to do things together. You know uh, you know the, the uh, Graham Holdings acquired uh, Framebridge uh, a bit before the leaf group acquisition, uh, you know, you know, so, and we're, you know, substantially in, uh, the online art business with both society six and Saatchi art. And, you know, so, you know, there's some natural conversations, you know, that occur. And I think, you know, that, um, the Tim and team do a very good job of facilitating those opportunities, but also, you know, expecting that, um, you know, the businesses, you know, are going to, you know, operate with some autonomy, but, you know, should do smart things to say, gosh, you know, we're all part of the same family, what could we do together um, that we might not otherwise be able to do, which would be beneficial to, uh, you know, to both companies and to Graham overall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's relatively early, but uh, you know, but I think there'll, you know, there'll be opportunity for us to do some pretty valuable stuff together over time.
1: Got it. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about revenue from um, the past year as well. So I think prior to the acquisition, it looked like um, Leaf Group's revenue was up about sixty percent year over year from the beginning of 2020 to uh, the beginning of 2021, and these numbers I got um, a few months back, so I'm curious if they're still accurate. Um, if you remember back to those time periods at all, but I'm curious, like essentially, you know, did last year end up being a, a positive, you know, upwards trajectory for Leaf Group? Um, you know, either after the acquisition or, or or within the little like the different categories of businesses that you have. Um, I guess how did 2021 fare overall?
2: Sure. So you know, as, as I know, you can understand and appreciate. Um, you know, Graham's a public company. The the year just ended. Uh, you know, we haven't been a public company since last June, so I can't you know provide any you know specifics um, you know about uh, financial specifics about the business at this time. But you know, I think you know we continued to execute uh, well. You know, across our our businesses um, in 2021, the key for me really, you know, when I think about the businesses in every year, you know, are we performing well, um, financially, but and are we making progress on, on the long-term strategy? Right. And so, you know, if you look across the businesses, we continue to expand the product assortment, uh, for the society six business, uh, the Sachi art business saw the return of the other art fairs. Uh, you know after a you know kind of you know first year of pandemic hiatus uh sachi art also did tremendous work uh, you know in, in the in the planning for the nft project and you know on the on the media side not only did we can, can continue to push on the branded uh, sales effort um, but we also I've done a very good job uh diversifying revenue streams you know particularly uh you know with you know with i think really well done intelligently integrated uh commerce for uh, well and good and you know hunker in the early stages there um so so good solid forward progress um strategically for us in 2021.
1: we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back. I want to get into commerce um, specifically because I think, obviously, with the art portfolio, you have a little bit of a different commerce business than other, you know, purely media like digital media companies, right? So you have um, Sachi Art as an online art selling platform. Um, you have the other art fair where uh, people can buy art in person. I know this firsthand because I did last fall at the other art fair in Brooklyn. Um, which is
2: that's great thank you very yeah. much.
1: It was really cool and I I want to talk about the return to of live events too later but um uh you have these different, you know, commerce opportunities um and I would love to kind of unpack, you know, how significant commerce is for, you know, your overall business because I also want to know how it influences the media companies, uh, the digital media brands that are under your umbrella. Like are in-person shopping events something that you consider for like well and good for instance um how much does you know this marketplace strategy of society six influence um hunkers online selling capabilities i'm curious like what the kind of lessons are that you could you could share with the other brands in your portfolio
2: sure so uh I mean, a whole bunch of, of great questions in there and you walk through it so you know overall as you know and this was you know um you know we've you know roughly been uh about you know two-thirds commerce revenue to you know one-third primarily digital advertising or, or on the media side of the business um you know and the, that that's all public information i think the you know the the commerce businesses give us the kind of the deep understanding right about consumers buying product online as a company overall. So when you're operating businesses, you learn an awful lot about them. The opportunity in media is for us to take, you know, that knowledge, understanding and and best practice and and bring it to bear as, you know, these, you know, digital media brands, um, you know, kind of go further in these revenue diversification efforts and bring, you know, an intelligent integrated commerce um, into the content that we're creating. And so, you know, when you start from a base of having real knowledge because you operate separate businesses in the category, I think it helps you, um, you know, as you start because you have some level of expertise in the organization that you can share. Um, But when you think about commerce for um, publishers, you know, it is a bit different because you in many cases, um, you know, the the commerce experience is one that's really integrated in the in nature of the content itself. And, you know, that um you know, the kind of the, the efforts and mechanics behind that are a bit different, you know, than just straight up managing a catalog. Um, but I think the fundamentals uh, you know, are similar. Which is, you want to make sure that you're offering your readership um, products that they would be interested in, products that you know are of high quality, um, and if it's you know done by way of third party integration um, from a partner who can execute well, so that customer has a great experience. Um, and I think in the media world, you know, commerce is really the opportunity should be created not just by eyeballs. okay, there's a lot of people on this article. Let's put a, an affiliate link up and see if we can pick up a quarter. Um, that's mm-hmm. not terribly interesting. It's can we use our knowledge and expertise, you know, in our ability to you kind know, of curate so that we're providing um, introductions to a brand or a product that a customer who trusts our brand might never have heard of before? Right. Mm -hmm. Have we, you know, can you use your expertise and can you leverage the trust you have with your audience to make them aware of products and services that you can stand behind, you know, are of high quality and you can introduce them to and they might not otherwise have been able to find them or at least find them with a kind of the decision support and the recommendation weight that you and your brand can provide. And that truly is value add and i think that's you know that really needs to be the right way to do it you you know if you're if you're merely trying to co-opt that brief period of attention you have so that you know you can get an, a fee on a product sale that's not a great business i don't think it's a sustainable one right um,
1: and it it sounds like it kind of ties into your approach on Saatchi art too right like you have a collection of artists that have been um, curated and art pieces that have been, you know, selected by the expertise of your your Sachi Art staff, right? And so, to a degree, it's a similar thing. Like, hey, you should buy this piece of art because there's real, like, in depth. I don't know how to describe art very well, uh, clearly, but you know, like, it sounds like there's similar kind of strategies behind. The way like Sachi Arts business operates, and the way that you're approaching selling things through Well and Good, for instance, is that kind of. I mean, are there shared mentalities there? Do you think?
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, you know, one of the things we talk an awful lot about internally is that um, you know we you know we're building brands and passion categories, and uh, I think it's essential if you want to build a brand that consumers love and trust in an area where they care deeply about, right, which is it's more than just utility, then ultimately they need to feel, and this cannot be faked, that you care about as much about their passion as they do. Mm-hmm. So if you go to sachi and, you know, you you know see Rebecca Wilson, our chief curator, um, and you, um, you know, you get her emails or you've, you know, seen her videos, you know, you know, that she is as passionate about art and emerging artists as you are. And, you know, and I think that's the hallmark of a, of a great brand, because you can trust that brand, because you know, these people aren't in business just to be in business, right? The business, of course, is paramount. But they're they're in that particular business, because it's what they care about, and it's what they love. And I don't know about you, but You know, when I'm talking to someone and I'm contemplating a purchase, the idea that that person is truly a passionate customer, you know, fan or kind of lover of of the same thing, that matters to me. And and again, and I think that that's what provides that ultimately that connection and that trust. You know, people can tell if an article is written uh, about you know, think about in the wellness space. And it's merely a, 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 you know, a summary on meditation by someone who doesn't meditate or care about it. Someone who cares is going to, you know, s- smell that a mile away. It's, yeah, uh, that's really important to us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, so Kate Spees from uh, Well and Good was on uh, last fall, I believe, on the podcast talking about, um, she had joined us for the Digiday Publishing Summit talking about the um, marketplace that Well and Good had been, you know, investing in building over the past year or so. And she had been talking about that kind of editorial tie-in to make the, you know, actual shopping destination on Well and Good feel still like that um, curated and you know, passionate area of of the site. Um, so I do, I do understand that kind of, that cold approach to commerce when it comes to even your your more commerce-focused brands um, like Saatchi Art really doesn't work. In um, Society6 even, like people need to feel a, a connection to the art in order to make the purchase. So I, I think that is interesting. Um, kind of going off of that, so Kate obviously had talked about this um, investment into the marketplace on Well and Good. I guess I'm curious, um, you know, going into the new year, this year, 2022. How much investment are you going to continue in building um, commerce opportunities on the brands under Leaf Group that don't maybe currently have commerce or um, are just starting to build it up? Um, like, What are some of the, the areas of investment that you're identifying for this year?
2: Yeah. So, you know, Kate and team have done a great job, uh, you know, well and good. We're going to continue to, to, you know, to, to invest more there. And, you know, I think they're going to make great progress, uh, in this new year. Uh, also Hunker, uh, you know, Eve Epstein and team have done a great job. Um, you know, I would say Hunker is, um, you know, coming up the curve. I would say, you know, if you're going to think about it internally, uh, well and good is moving down the track very, very quickly. Um, Hunker is following uh, pretty fast but we're looking you know across the portfolio and do, you know doing ongoing experimentation with different types of integrated commerce on on different sites and and you'll see more uh in the new year across more brands. Um but again it's got to be value add for the customer and it's got to be significant long term in its impact us but we think there's you know we think there's real legs to this.
1: Got it. Got it. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, um, and as you mentioned earlier, live events came back in 2021 um, towards the end of the year, I believe. And obviously there's still a lot of unknowns regarding the pandemic and regarding the role of live events uh, this year, considering you know all the variants and things of that nature. But um, as I mentioned, I had attended the other art fair in Brooklyn this year and definitely felt like There was a lot of excitement, I think, about being back, um, interacting with artists in person. But I want to talk to you about, you know, the live events model. Um, In the other art fair, there were artists in every booth. You got to talk to them about their work. You got to, you know, buy it in the moment if you wanted to. Um, But I want to, I'm curious about your approach to live events and the importance of connecting the people that shop through Saatchi Art or the people who attend these events with artists themselves and kind of having those, you know, personal moments of interaction. Um, Because I think that a lot of live events from publishers try to do that to a degree. But, you know, if you have a big name on stage and a thousand people attending, it's really hard to have those like one-to-one moments. Um, Can you talk about like the, I guess, playbook for live events and you know why they're so important to your your business model um uh you know i guess in regards to the artist being there but you know the experience that it leaves the people that shop through sachi art for, in, for instance
2: sure um well i'm glad you had a good time uh you know at the fair you know i, th- I think that you know our you know, approach to, you know, to doing live events is again, going back to, do we think we're providing something for the people we serve, the artist, the collector, the art lover, the customer um, that really matters, right? You know, it's, you know, is this an experience that is going to and they give them opportunities that they couldn't get otherwise. And as you point out, when you go to the art fair, you're speaking directly to the artist, right? You're not, you know, going to a booth and it's a gallery and it might be representing half a dozen artists. You get to talk to that artist about their work in a setting, which, you know, is fun and it's celebratory and it's got a good vibe and it's hip. And it's also, you know, very comfortable, you know, it's not intimidating, um, but you can have an awful lot of fun. And so, you know, when we think about the events, does it really, again, provide an opportunity for artists that they otherwise, you know, wouldn't be able to get? Does it do the same thing for collectors? Um, is it good business, you know, and and, and um, does it strengthen the connection that people have uh, to the brands? Um, you know, as you point out, you know, kind of a live event series has kind of, you know, almost become a staple um, for many brands. But you know, in my experience, in many cases, it feels like um, you know you get a fancy, famous um, keynote speaker to kind of attract a crowd or make you know kind of the ticket worth paying for, and then it feels like a trade show. Um, and and you know, again, that's you know, who am I to say what you know what's the right type of live event or not? But the live you know live events for us really um, provide the people we serve something of benefit that they otherwise could not get and make sound business sense you know for us. You know we do we look for connection, you know so you see it at the other art fair, you can talk to artists, you can talk to other collectors, you can have a drink and have an awful lot of fun. Uh, you know, well and good has done wellness retreats, uh, talks, you know, for example, at the 92nd street wide that I think you know are near sellouts every time, um, around information that really matters to the audience. And, um, and, and to the influencers and experts who speak to those audiences. And so, you know, so quality of the event, you know, is paramount. Um, and I, and again, I think without a strong brand, you know, a strong franchise, you know, the, the live event, um, kind of series itself, um, isn't going to do for a lot of brands, um, you know, for what they may think about it. You want to make sure that you're proud of what you're producing. It has real value um, and it makes sense and it's sustainable.
1: Yeah. And continuing into this year, obviously, again, still a lot of unknowns with the pandemic. Um, I know our own live events business, we're still trying to map out what that'll look like this year. Um, but I guess Are you scaling back? Have you kind of kept the schedule intact for, you know, the return of live events? Or how are you approaching, you know, this business, which I think has been definitely impacted the most um, due to the pandemic, you know, past two years now?
2: Yeah, you know, so, you know, after, you know, you know, having, you know, our, you know, fair business effectively shut down for the other art fair in 2020, you know, he had a very solid return affairs, you know, in 2021. You know, really, you know, we've been guided by, you know, if you tick through that list, there's, you know, what's permissible at a given point in time, right? So you start with start with that, right? And that's pretty straightforward. You can either have an event, you know, or you can't. And then if, you know, if you can't, it's resolved itself. And, you know, you just endure. If you can, then you say, well, should we have an event? And you go through the considerations. Well, even though it's permissible, do we believe it's appropriate for us as a company to be facilitating event based on our understanding of the risk, even though technically you can do it. And so we've always wanted to err on the side of caution and safety in in science. And and I really, you know, believe we've done that. We've done a good job. Um, And also factor for, you know, do we think it will be a good event by way of its attendance? You know, do artists, you know, are they interested in appearing? Um, Do we think that we can provide, you know, Given the rules and regs um, for the public, an event that they're going to be excited about. Will we get the attendance to make it worthwhile? And so you kind of go through all of those things and decide to move, you know, forward or not. Um, ultimately, again, you know, the, the kind of the, we're you know operating now with you know with you know with Omicron and cases, uh, you know, going through the roof and all trying to process exactly what that means. But you know, when we you know when the pandemic becomes you know endemic and you know we hit some new normalcy i think the live experience in many ways you know will be perceived to be even more valuable than what it's always been mm-hmm. um you know a, a you know a great live event cannot be replicated online i've been to many wonderful virtual events online they're great um but the you know the live experience you know as as long as humans exist as social animals getting together you know to celebrate to cheer on your team to see a great band to um you know that that's that's never going away and i think again you'll see a resurgence because people are eager to get back out maybe not everybody equally and certainly you know there's there's a you know fair amount of i would say reasonable you know concern about when and where to get out there um you know but when we get through this you know the the pent-up demand for people to get together and celebrate is going to be extraordinary um but again it doesn't mean you can get away just because people are excited to go out with low quality events you know we want to give people a great time and have them say i could have done many different things over the tonight and i went to this event man i'm happy i did
1: yeah I also think, um, and I'm I'm curious if you have any thoughts on this. But especially when it comes to commerce tied into events, like virtual versus in person, I feel like there are a lot more serendipitous moments of you know people saying, "Oh, I really enjoyed connecting with this artist," or "I really enjoyed, you know, what the speaker had to say." You know, I want to buy from this brand or buy from this artist uh, because. You're there, right? And you're you're seeing the piece of art, or you're seeing the the product that they're advertising to you, or maybe not advertising, but sharing with you. Um, and I think for the the publishers and the the companies that have live events, I feel like it does to a degree have some influence on that that commerce piece of it. Um, but I, I'm curious, like, have virtual events been? Uh, For any of them that you might have held, and I know you did a virtual other art fair, um, I believe in in 2020, like have they impacted that that commerce piece at all? Or have you found that, you know, people are, are willing to spend because they're, you know, just so passionate about the artists and the brand?
2: Yeah, no, I think you bring up a great point. Now we're early with virtual events, so we'll see, you know, but they'll evolve, right? And our mm-hmm. first approach is, I think the team did a great job on short notice, and and we we're very, very happy with the results. And people did buy art and they did show up. And in a world where you couldn't get together in person, I'm really, really glad, um, you know, that we innovated and came up with the virtual fairs and we'll continue to do them. But you know, you're right, there's you know, that in-person experience where you know you're seeing that actual work from three feet away, from six feet away, you're talking to the artist. Um, you know, the intensity of that experience versus a virtual experience today, with today's technology and where it is on the curve, um they're just not the same. Um, and over time, the virtual experiences will get richer and richer, and they're gonna be fantastic. But, yeah, you know, sitting and talking to an artist, looking at this piece in the flesh because, you know, art is just, you know, more than what it looks like on the, you know, on the, on the two dimensional screen. Right. Mm -hmm. You see the textures and the vibrancy and, you know, just, you know, seeing it, um, you know, in in the flesh, so to speak, makes a big difference.
1: Yeah. Um, So for the last, the last few minutes here, I want to talk about um, getting into NFTs and digital art, which for, you know your your art arm seems like a very natural next step, and we've talked about this um, before because uh, I I was working on a story about kind of NFT um, experimentation and getting audiences on board with this new I guess frontier as it were. Um, so we've talked about this before, but I'd love to kind of I guess explain to the audience kind of your a- approach to NFTs because I feel like it was very calculated. So while a lot of companies last year kind of were just like, all right, let's just try it out and you know, see if this works. You had mentioned that um there were some, I guess, initial steps that needed to be taken and understanding what would work best um, for your audience, but also what would work best for your business. Can you talk about, you know, digital art, NFTs, and how you felt it would fit into Leaf Group?
2: Sure. So um so first of all, you know, it's the, you know, the You know, the NFT, you know, as kind of, you know, you know, I'd say, you know, an innovation, you know, on top of everything that's been happening, uh, you know, in crypto, you know, over the past, you know, decade um, is something that we're really, really excited about because we think it creates uh, a whole new way for uh, our lovers and collectors to experience art and, you know, in huge new opportunities um, for artists, right? Full stop. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, at the beginning of anything uh, you know new, um, there's also an awful lot of noise and hype and and it's hard um, for many people uh, to to navigate, you know, unless you're spending a ton of time you know on various marketplaces and doing a ton of your own research you know on crypto and NFTs. you know, it's a mountain of knowledge you know, the tools, while there's a lot of development going on, are still pretty hard to use, you know, setting up wallets and figuring out how to, you know, execute transactions. And so it's just, you know, it's like the very, very, you know, it's like the internet in the mid 90s and trying to, you know, like there were a lot of people who couldn't even figure out how to get online, you know, until AOL shipped about a billion CDs to people. Um, So, so these are early days, and I'm, you know, been around long enough to have gone through them before. And so we always look and say, okay, there's something very real here. There's also a lot of hype and noise. And um, as you know, Saatchi Art, I mean, we are very much in the business of building, you know, a platform and a brand that serves artists and art lovers and collectors. And so, what's the right approach for us? given this new opportunity for our artists and for collectives. And so, you know, we did, sometimes the best way through the noise is to look at, well, what are we really good at? And what could we very much deliver on? And Saatchi art is characterized by opportunity for emerging artists um, and a high level of curation, you know, a trusted environment where people can go to discover art and artists. And so that's really informed, um, you know, our approach um, with the collections that, you know, that we're doing, um, the other avatars, uh, is our project, which, which, uh, drops later in January. Um, and we have, uh, brought in a bunch of participating Saatchi artists who are creating unique avatars. Um, they're all inspired by the self-portraits of, of Van Gogh. And, you know, again, this is, you know, this will, I'm sure, evolve, in, in ways that we couldn't even possibly predict today and I won't even try. We said, okay, you know, how do we give, you know, the collectors something to hold on to and how do we organize an effort that will be intriguing and exciting, but also you can navigate it. And so we've kind of packaged that up and, you know, for folks listening, if you're interested, you know, go check out the, you know, the um, uh, the project on Sachi Art, uh, the other avatars. Uh, It's easy to understand, to participate in, um, and leverages what we're very, very good at. Um, And again, this is a starting point. The best thing about getting started is you learn stuff and you evolve from there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're excited to see what the year brings, but we think we've got a great starting point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, uh, to your point, Saatchi Art is focused on the consumer, but you also have the artists that you are highly considering in, in your actions as well. Um, and I think we had talked about this too, but you know, the NFT kind of technology is a way to, uh, offers artists and the creators themselves a way to kind of like continue monetizing their art even after the initial sale, um, which I thought was interesting. And I think, I, I guess, can you talk a little bit about like, about that piece of it and, and how, I guess how you're onboarding the artists that you have in your network into this new technology, because I think it's, it's such a unique space and a lot of, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to kind of serve those creators that in traditional art sales aren't necessarily being served.
2: Yeah, no, you, you bring up a great point, which is, you know, when, um, you know, the the potential for recurring revenue stream, um, you know, when things are collectible, they're, you know, they're often resold and they can change hands many, many times, you know, and in the traditional art world and in in different, you know, countries and states have, uh, you know, even in the United States have tried to, you know, implement, uh, you know, some, residuals going back to fine artists but it's really really difficult you know to enforce and has never really kind of received you know gotten wide adoption and you know with the rise of the smart contract in crypto i think there's real opportunity you know for artists to to develop these kind of ongoing revenue streams um from their work um you know because you know the blockchain um and the you know the the terms of the smart contracts you know will enable that you know to happen. I mean it's it's early, but certainly there's you know th- this puts real teeth in the the ability for you know artists to be able to put their work out you know into the world and t- attach terms um, you know of their choosing that, you know, can provide them with benefit or protection over time, which we think is, you know, is a wonderful development. And, you know, the you know one thing I will say, too, is people, you know, often question, well, gosh, you know, digital art, it's like, you know, NFTs, you know, they're just really JPEGs, right? And, you know, or some digital file that you can see, is that real? And it's like, you know, well, you know, if you look at, you know, the physical world, you know, canvas and paint isn't what drives the price or the value where, you know, uniqueness and the, you know, people's love for the work, their belief in its uniqueness or value as an artwork is always what what drives value. And, you know, as technology improves and display, you know, the display mediums expand, um, you know, there's no question in my mind that, you know, people won't think twice about um, the legitimacy of, you know, an NFT as an artwork. Um, I think what will end up, you know, we will talk about art. I mean, yeah, you can make a distinction um, by medium or type when you say, you know, this is sculpture, this is drawing, this is, you know, a painting, this is digital art. Um, But no one disputes that a sculpture is any less A work of art uh, than a painting because of the medium. And the same thing will be true of NFTs.
1: Got it. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for taking the time to talk about Leaf Group and the acquisition and commerce and all of these really interesting areas. I'm excited to kind of follow along the NFT journey as well. Thank you for, for joining us today.
2: Kelly, thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. We're very, very happy to, to talk to you again, certainly about what we're doing on the NFT front with Sachi Art, but any of these, any of the other great businesses inside the portfolio. So just thank you.
1: And thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode.